week, my favourite part of Friday, because in half an hour I get to say goodbye to James Marsh. Join us on Facebook Live right now, if you can, because it's Marshy Movie Time. Hello, old chum. Hi. Yeah, no, I was um, surprised for a moment there. I was like, surely not. And then I realised what you meant. And everything returned to its rightful order. So, uh, yes, it's quite a busy week, actually, this week. Mm, we've got lots to talk about. Uh, film-wise, we have Jungle Cruise, Old, Ghost Mansion, Till Death, yeah. and Listen Before You Sing. Quite a lot of films out this week that I've managed to see. Um, I wanted to start by addressing something that is in the news okay. sort of right now, so mm. today. Um, yesterday, Scarlett Johansson filed a lawsuit against Disney. Oh, yeah her uh, until recently employers um, because she is claiming that they are sort of cheating her out of her profit share of Black Widow, her new standalone Marvel movie, uh, which is touted to be her last outing. I mean, as we know, the character is already dead and was before Black Widow. Oh, you've ruined it now. Um, No, 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 because as I just said, if you're watching, you know, if you're a fan of the Marvel Universe, then you will know that she dies in Avengers Endgame, which came out two years ago. So this was a, a sort of um, a, a flashback kind of uh, movie anyway. Right. Um, however, because due to COVID and what have you, uh, Disney delayed the film for a year and then chose earlier this month to release it simultaneously in theatres where available and on Disney Plus premiere access where subscribers can pay an additional, I think it's $30, to get kind of a rental of the film. Um, she has claimed that that this is in violation of her deal with them, which guaranteed her you know, a percentage of box office profits, which people are estimating would have been about 50 million US dollars. And this is on oh. top. <laughs> yeah, so it's a fair chunk of change. And this is on top of her... Uh, sort of upfront twenty $20 million dollar fee. Yeah. So she's saying, you know, we we discussed this many many times. It's it's in the contract. Uh, we gave you lots and lots of opportunity to renegotiate. You know, over the past year or so, when we have been re, you know, they have been restructuring their uh, release schedule for the film and their release plans for the film. However, Disney did nothing at that time. Um, so she filed suit yesterday. Disney have since. Um, responded and basically sort of said the typical oh we're very disappointed in her you know because of the covid that she would at a time of international uh, suffering she would try and pull it pull a fast one uh and put it you know and they were very careful to work put up front the fact that she'd already been paid 20 million dollars for the for Mm. the film and that you know it was it was somehow outrageous of her cheeky of her insensitive of her to insist upon anything more and so I was curious what people thought about this and how people felt. Whether she is being uh, insensitive and Woke. a little bit cheeky. I'll say it before you do. De- well, demand, <clears throat> demanding more. Uh, no, I don't think it's her being woke. I think it's her sort of saying, well, this is in the contract. So regardless of <laughs> extenuating circumstances like the pandemic, you know, I want what's owed me. Uh, I bet they or write their contracts differently from now on. Somebody at Disney. Oh moment yeah well i think uh, uh, disney have uh, i think quite a storied history of 
you know, being a bit cheeky when it comes to royalties and back end deals, mm. uh, and sort of reneging, reneging on uh, their end of the deal, um, unfortunately. But I was just curious whether people felt that Johansson should be a bit more sensitive to the current climate, or whether uh, she deserves what's odour. Well, the experts are waiting to chip in because mm. they're all with us on Facebook Live, or will be. Anyway, hello, David in Australia. Tell us what you think, mate. Great for joining. Thanks for joining us again. Yeah, and we're going to have Steve popping up in a minute. Steve, the expert. So it's looking good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gabby is out there as well, and uh, really, Stephen as well. There's yeah. a number of people out there who are waiting to hear from on this one. Yeah. And they're, they're queuing up. Stefan, where are you? Stefan, where are you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Take a number, <laughs> get in line, and uh, and let us know. The doctor will see you shortly. Let's talk. Let's talk. Um, whilst we're waiting for the massive response, let's get stuck into your first flick because the oh. poster alone is brilliant. Okay, so old is the latest from M. Night Shyamalan, you know, him of uh, The Sixth Sense and many other sort of uh, horror-infused thrillers over mm -hmm. the last sort of 20 years or so. Uh, you know, he has become notorious for making films that feature a surprise twist ending. Right. To the point where now everybody expects them. You go in waiting for the Shyamalan, to get Shyamalan, some people have even Shyamalan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this one is the first film that he's filmed completely outside of his hometown of Philadelphia. Okay. Uh, and it follows it follows a family, uh, husband, wife, and two young children as they go off to a remote. I think it was filmed in the Dominican Republic, but a remote lu luxury hotel for a conference. Dad's got a conference, uh, and he, the family has come along, and they very much enjoy, enjoy the sort of the tranquility and the uh, um, isolation, relative isolation of it all. Yeah. Uh, you can tell that all is not well within the family. You know, there is some kind of marital tension going on that they have yet to resolve and the kids are, at, the, at least for now, unaware of. Uh, the hotel suggests to them oh, that they know a secret beach there's a little sort of enclave, you have to go through a little canyon, get to this secret beach. And so they go there, along with a couple of the other uh, guests of the hotel, mm -hmm. only to discover that they are trapped on the beach, there is no way off it, and they are ageing incredibly oh. rapidly. Right, right, right. So that's basically the setup. You know, they work out pretty quickly that, uh, I think that ageing at a rate of about a year every f half an hour... So within 24-hour period, they're going to age about 50 years, and so that doesn't leave very long for any of them to uh, work out what's happened and try and find a way off it. Uh, you know, when you already have a fairly elderly members of the... Uh, uh, fairly old, old guests are there, and obviously they are, you know going to have trouble surviving the night. Uh, there's, so there's in interesting casting has to take place here because you've got these kids and these kids are growing at an exponential rate so within a couple of hours you know they've hit puberty and then going through adolescence into adulthood and so uh Shyamalan has set himself up quite the casting challenge in order it's like max 3 benjamin button isn't it that's the only other age kind of film i can think of yeah, oh apart from uh, yeah, dorian so gray it's a, it's a little <laughs> bit it's a little bit like benjamin button in reverse yeah you know? so it's just sort of expedited aging and everything that comes with it so he's created this kind of microcosm for himself where you can examine essentially life in a day and relationships and all the everything that goes with it yeah. now 
this is obviously uh, a horror movie as well, and because it does deal with you know the physicality of the body, there is a kind of Cronenbergian sort of body horror element to it. Yeah. As people who have, uh, you know, they they recognise that among them, quite a number of them have sort of um, medical conditions, mm. and so those medical conditions, uh, you know, are fast tracked, as it were, which obviously leads to, leads to some uh, rather nasty moments, including um, I'll just say something involving a tumour, which nice. is quite nasty. <laughs> Has to be quite really, unpleasant. doesn't it? Now, when the when the movie was as soon as the movie was finished, yeah. I was kind of unsure exactly how I felt about it. I was slightly sort of frustrated by elements of it. I mean, Shyamalan has never been accused of uh, <clears throat> sort of prese- delivering sort of uh, stereotypical, cliched, or formulaic movies. You know, he al- always has done his own thing, regardless of what anybody else thinks about it. Uh, and that's to be admired. So he's always taking these huge gambles on these like massive ideas. Yeah. Uh, and I've always appreciated a film that sort of aims high, even if it fails in the process, rather than something that plays it safe, uh, even if it succeeds in doing so. Um, but as it as it finished, I was sort of unsure where I sat. You know, I felt that you know the dialogue was clumsy. I thought the editing wasn't handled too great. The pacing was is always in his films a little bit slow for my taste. And the cinematography, which other people have praised, I felt was some slightly unsettling and frustrating you know he's using these very very deliberate use of extreme close-ups often deliberately kind of cropping the characters out of the frame and so often you're you're looking at sort of a conversation going on but you can't quite see either of the characters now on the one hand he uh, there's moments where he's using that to uh, sort of disguise the fact that uh, he's about to switch out an actor for another actor because the character has just got older but other times he's he's um He's trying to emphasise something else, and it's not always, or it wasn't immediately clear to me what he was trying to do. But right. you know, I've had a night. I watched it yesterday. I've had a sort of twenty-four You've hours a night. Or, or a night to sleep on it. I have slept on it. Okay. Um, and I think I'm appreciating what he was trying to do a little bit more. There's this sort of unnatural focus on on characters' names and occupations. You know, it becomes quite an obsession amongst the characters and in the dialogue. They're always talking about each other's names and about what each other do for a living. There's one character who everybody keeps getting his name wrong and he keeps being very insistent about, no, no, this is my name, this is my name. Mm. And what I did is, after, after thinking about it, I thought, okay, well, what he's doing now is he's set up this microcosm of sort of life, essentially, where we can look through the lens and examine uh, all the, the different sort of elements of our lives and priorities and what is important and what isn't important. Okay. And I think what he's trying to do with the film is to re-emphasize or address, you know, what we put... Uh, prior, what we prioritize and what we should be prioritizing. Okay. Um, you know, we prioritise sort of our social standing and our our profession uh, over things like our our health and our well-being and things like that. And I think at the end of the day, what he's trying to do is examine the dangers of prioritising sort of status and uh, achievement over our sort of our well-being. Totally conscious, right? It's not just the way you're reading it. Well, I you know this is what I'm reading as his intention. Oh, so okay, you don't know. 
Anyway, let's say hello to a few people who've joined us on Facebook well, Live. No, I don't know. So Steve says, hello, what are we talking about? Well, keep listening. Uh... Dave, Dave refers to your comment about the contractual stuff when you kicked off. He said, well, the situation is, if it's in the contract, you know, you get it, go for it sort of thing is what's on paper. Uh, what mm-hmm. a concept of a movie, obviously talking about this one. Uh, Steve says, that's the way I feel every time I'm in a pub in Hong Kong Island. I age rapidly. And somebody else says, so you've slept on it. Hopefully you've become older and wiser. So actually we've got no comments whatsoever about the blinking movie. Yeah, no. Just sledging. No, nothing of substance, but, <laughs> but I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, so at the end of the day, I think now, having taken a bit of time for, to allow it to settle, to allow it to digest, yeah. I think I appreciate it a little bit more than I did sort of like 12 hours ago uh, when it finished. Um, it still has its problems. Uh, I think a lot of the dialogue is kind of awkward, and there's a... a there's an excess of exposition, which I think was unnecessary. Okay. Uh, you know, a lot of the dialogue doesn't sound particularly naturalistic, which is only exacerbated by the fact that you've got actors like uh, Gabriel Garcia Bernal uh, and Vicky Cripps in the cast, who for whom English is not their first language anyway. Right. Um, I think, like I said, I think the casting is by and large very well done. I think I, I like the performances. I think, you know, the problem you often get in these sort of high concept horror movies is you spend the whole time, and we'll get to something like this a bit later, you, you spend a lot of the time going, oh, well, you wouldn't do that. Nobody would say that. <laughs> Nobody would actually do that. You know, characters behaving in ways that normal people wouldn't behave just because the movie wants to happen. Uh, and I didn't really feel that here. You okay. know, it sets up the situation in dare I say quite a realistic way so that characters aren't re- are, are trying to sort of get wrap their own heads around this in, sort of fantastical concept mm. in ways that did ring true you know in as much as you possibly can you know when you do have characters literally aging before your eyes and uh, you, you are dealing with sort of growing tumors within characters or yeah. a pregnancy mm. you know an expedited pregnancy and, and old age and all the all these other things happening at like an, an alarming rate and I thought all of that was actually kind of handled quite well. Um, like, a, yeah, so I, I have mixed feelings of it, but I think I am starting to settle on the sides, side of appreciating its intentions over necessarily how well those were realised. And I think the fact that he was raising all of these questions and um, discussing and, and the manner in which he approached these themes obviously there is a big twist but we're not going to go into it you know sure. it is a there it always is, a is movie. Him, yeah there always is and it and it is an interesting one and it does throw up its own kind of moral quandary or ethical quandary that you know we won't get into because the characters do notice very kind of early on they're in they're trapped in this sort of secluded bay surrounded by high cliffs and they do kind of notice very early on that there is somebody something up on the cliffs perhaps sort of looking down on them and they can't quite work out you know why who's there what they're doing and all the rest of it so uh he often does microcosms doesn't he little communities yeah bubbles whatever and this is and this is very much a microcosm you know it quite literally putting these characters under the microscope in order to examine uh how they behave um so I don't want to say any more than that about yep. what it's about. Suffice to say, I think I am ultimately falling on the side of yes. 
as oh, right. opposed to no. Good. So Steve says, I think M. Night is underappreciated. Glad to hear that the film is uh, worth seeing. Sit tight, James. It's very nearly time for us to get to the news. Right. What have you got? What's next? Okay, so let's do uh, Jungle Cruise, which is a big new yeah, Disney Yeah, another great poster. Adventure. I'm on a roll today with posters. Yeah, so this As is... you will see, if you look at our Morning Brew blurb this morning, picture of James and Danny, 1930s style. I wonder who did that. Anyway, on we go. <laughs> okay, so this is set during <laughs> World War One, and Emily Blunt plays Lily Houghton, who is a uh, sort of archaeologist, adventurer, explorer, all the rest of it, and she is eager to head down into the Amazon to uh, seek out a, leg a mythical tree of life, right. which is, you know, as legend has it, it has uh, the power to heal and all the rest of it, and she sees the, uh, the you know, the boundless opportunities uh, in medical research and all the rest of it. Okay. However, she... She has been rejected by uh, the stuffy London institutions like the National Geographic Society and what have you many, many times. So she steals an arrowhead that has um, a map on it and her and her effet younger brother McGregor, played by Jack Whitehall, head down to the Amazon where they hire roguish, charming steam captain Frank, played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, to, uh, <laughs> to head down river into uncharted territory and seek out this... Uh, uh, this tree, yes, this magical tree of life. Uh, on their trail are um, a number of different people with different uh, interests. Yeah. Also, you know, keen to get their hands on this uh, this great treasure. Uh, not least, you have Jesse Plemons playing Prince Joachim of Germany, or who I think they say is supposed to be one of the youngest sons of Kaiser Wilhelm. Uh, Gotta be. There, are, there is also a magical forces are at work in the jungle not least the cursed conquistadors of uh, of spain or, or i suppose they're portuguese aren't they if it's if it's brazil or spain or whatever or somewhat, one of them ancient sort of 400 year old conquistadors who were themselves in search of it and found it and ran amok ran foul of the uh, the, the tribes and the and the magic that is associated with all of this, and yet their spirits may still linger. Okay. And then, of course, on top of all of that, you've got just the jungle itself. So, Jungle Cruise, this is based on the theme park ride, the Disney theme park ride, mm -hmm. uh, in similar to Haunted Mansion and, of course, Pirates of the Caribbean. The theme park it, ride itself was heavily inspired by the movie The African Queen, you know, the Humphrey Bogart, yeah, Catherine yeah. Hepburn movie and there is an element definitely an element of that that carries over into uh into this film uh obviously there's a there's a strong element of indiana jones at work here <laughs> no, really? even, like the, the mummy as well uh but i think the single biggest sort of uh comparison must be with pirates of the caribbean you know it has that blend of sort of period detail uh high adventure uh, magic, mysticism, uh, all of that, and thrown in together, and I think it, it kind of hits about the same tone as well. So it's by and large, it's you know, it's jokey, it's fun, it's uh, exciting, but there is sort of a, a scary element to it as well that I think young children may be a little bit rattled by. Um, you know, you like, not least you have these um, 
sort of ghostly, almost zombie-like conquistador characters, you know, with Pirates sort of, of slightly demonic <laughs> magical powers. Yeah, so it is very much sort of, uh, you know, com- comparable to Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, now, I went into this very trepidatiously, not least <laughs> because, I mean, it's based, it's based on a theme park ride. Uh, I, I did very much like the first Pirates of the Caribbean film. Uh, however, I think that they diminished in quality quite considerably after that. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, big fan of Indiana Jones, big fan of, um, the, you know, The Mummy to a lesser extent. But I thought The Mummy series itself was a ripoff of the Indiana Jones movies. So if you're now doing it like a ripoff of a ripoff, I was like, okay, so this is just going to be incredibly derivative, was my fear. Rip-off-y. Also, add to that the fact that this is a movie that has been delayed numerous times, uh, even before COVID. This movie had been delayed already. Uh, it was shot in 2018. It was supposed to come out in 2019. Uh, it was pushed back. And then obviously it didn't come out in 2020 because of COVID. So uh, that's normally not a good sign. Even though it's directed by um, Jaume, I think it's Jaume or Jaume uh, Colitzera, Spanish-American filmmaker who has done, you know, he's a big genre filmmaker. He's done some good horror movies like The Shallows. He's a very good uh, self-contained kind of shark attack movie. He's also done a number of those Liam Neeson action movies. Yeah. So, you know, he's a, he's competent behind the helm, but this is definitely his biggest, um, his biggest project to date. So I was very, yeah, I, I wasn't sure what to expect, and I thought this could be a big mess. And looking at the... Um, looking at the trailers, you know, it looked like a real sort of CGI hodgepodge of all those things we've talked about. So uh, much to my surprise, was it, when I actually came away quite enjoying it. I think the characters are drawn actually pretty well. Emily Blunt is very much the sort of um, capable action heroine. It's very much, you know, she is the focus of the movie and I think she carries herself very well. Uh, You know, there is a defining character trait that she wears trousers to the point that Frank, um, Dwayne Johnson's character, Frank, calls her pants pretty much throughout uh but she is far more capable and athletic uh and uh daring than almost anybody else on screen and that mm. includes Dwight, Dwayne the Rock Johnson now Dwayne Johnson has been doing a, you know a number of these big budget you know CGI fueled action adventure movies and so this is very much in his wheelhouse here he's he's kind of the comic relief as well and it's nice to see him do that a bit more because when he started out his career when he was making the transition from wrestling into film he played some sort of you know comic characters uh and he did a good job of that and that's where people first started to take him seriously you have always had a soft spot for this guy he's the one actor where I'd expect you to completely slam him but you don't well, it's because he can act. You know, he, ha- he has a great deal of screen charisma for one of these big sort of meatheads that yeah. we haven't seen since probably, <laughs> since probably Schwarzenegger. You know, he is real yeah. sort of the, the heir to Schwarzenegger's throne. And here, you know, he plays... You know, his character has secrets and has layers and all the rest of it, which we won't go into. Mm. But his character also has a great line in just awful, cringeworthy dad jokes yep. and bad puns Always. all the way through. Big- because at the end of the day, he is the skipper. Now, if you've ever been on the Jungle Cruise attraction, uh, you are taken down the, you know, these different rivers from around the world. But you have a skipper who is, you know, a real person, mm. an actor in the park, uh, who sort of narrates your journey as you go down. And a lot of that narration is 
uh, you know, terrible jokes, bad puns based on what you are seeing around you. And so Dwayne Johnson gets to do a lot of that. And it's actually, you know, I, I love a good pun. I love a terrible dad joke. And there's plenty of that. Um, now, this is a very, very low bar. And this is very treacherous water to even venture into if you look at Dwayne Johnson's career so far. But there is inevitably a bit of a sort of romantic spark uh, that is forced upon these characters, played by Emily Blunt and Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. Uh, and dare I say, it actually works relatively well and is relatively plausible. And I would go so far as to say that this is the most convincing kind of romantic lead role that we've ever seen Dwayne Johnson in. You know, we have seen, he tends to avoid them. We have seen him in things like San Andreas and what have you, where he has nominally got a wife and kids and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's put into this position. But it's never really been something explored by him or by the film itself. Here, for the first time, you know, he is presented as, on top of being an action hero and all the rest of it, as being a viable romantic lead. And it's it's okay. You know, it's not bad. It's It's kind of believable in as you know in a big fantasy movie like this um so i mean the the best character without a doubt is jesse plemons's uh ridiculous german villain who pursues them in a uh you know big industrial german submarine down the amazon is it dick dastardly kind of gig Oh, yes. He has a stupid moustache. He wears his military <laughs> uniform the whole time. Uh, he has an accent that is one minute Werner Herzog, then Christoph Waltz, then Arnold Schwarzenegger, and everybody in between, uh, to the point that other characters actually sort of take the mickey out of him for his accent. Um, you've also got you know, actors like Paul Giamatti, you've got Edgar, Edgar Ramirez. You know, it's a fairly capable cast. Jack yeah. Whitehall is in there. Now, I'm a bit, I'm a bit lukewarm on Jack Whitehall as a stand-up comedian. Uh, he's he's a lot, you know. He's a, and here he's he ran into some criticism very early on um, because he's playing a very sort of like I said a very camp, very effect, very um, effeminate character, you know, who brings uh, dinner jackets and and you know lots far too much luggage and all this kind of stuff, and would far rather be uh, in London in the club, you know, next to a roaring fire than he would you know, down the uh, piranha-infested Amazon River. Uh, and when it is, and it is revealed that uh, during the film that his character is gay, and I that's fine, you know, and it doesn't, imp <laughs> no, but it doesn't impact the film at all and all the rest of it. But when that was revealed, and that was revealed ahead of time, uh, he, you know, or Disney or everybody else got some criticism for not casting a gay actor. I don't have a problem with straight actors playing gay characters or vice versa. If I did... I'd have a problem with far too many things. You would be um, seriously confused and complicated if you went down that avenue and people do get that way, don't they? I think so. Particularly if you went the other way and you were like, I, if I have a problem with gay actors playing straight characters, I think you'd have a problem with a lot. Oh, it's well, I'll just put it it's like well confusing. It's like trying to talk about yeah, going no, back fine. in time. It's the, you know, kill your grandfather theory. All sorts of things could go wrong. Let me say hello to a couple more people. Uh, one guy here says, having played Mary Poppins and now Jungle Cruise, Emily Blunt seems to be the new Disney go-to actress. Dave says he's going to take your suggestion and go and see it. Think about Emily Blunt, though, James. Agree or disagree? Brilliant. She's such a performer. I love Emily Blunt. You know, she's she's basically, as far as I'm concerned, she follows in the footsteps of Kate Winslet and Emma Thompson. So and many talents sort of and skills. Lovable British actresses like this that we that I, I, I'm very fond of. Um, I mean, the great irony coming full circle about all of this is that Emily Blunt, of course, was cast as Black Widow 
originally oh. for Iron Man 2, which, uh, but she couldn't do it. But she was forced to pull out because she was contractually obliged to do another movie, which turned out to be the disastrous Gulliver's Travels oh, yeah. for another for another studio. And she couldn't get out of it. She couldn't break her contract. So she, you know, and obviously at that time nobody knew what the MCU was going to be. It was still very, very new. Uh, so she had to pull out. Uh, and so it's interesting that you say that she now she's now Disney's go-to because she would have been far more so. Uh, like I said, this film was shot in 2018, so probably immediately after uh, Mary Poppins. Obviously, she has since gone on to do... You know, She's got two movies out right now. She's got The Quiet, Quiet Place Part 2. Uh, she's gone on to do all kinds of other things. Uh, so, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if she continues with Disney or, or what's going on here. Gebby has appeared, booked my Jungle Cruise tickets for tomorrow. Thanks, Marshy. I think he means you're paying for them, actually. Oh well. Note the um, silence. Let's, let's move see about on. That. <laughs> what do you got? Yeah. So uh, pleasantly, pleasantly surprised by a big, silly CGI-infused adventure romp. Okay. Jungle Cruise. What's next? So yeah. Jungle Cruise. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Till Death, which is a new thriller starring Megan Fox as a kind of trophy wife to a controlling Wall Street lawyer mm-hmm. who, on sort of Christmas evening, insists. Um, against her will to take her, whisk her off uh, to a surprise uh, that turns out to be a secluded sort of lake house that he's done up uh, all romantic-like with rose petals and candles and all the rest of it. Uh, They have a very sort of pleasant night together. Um, They are looking to sort of, again, repair uh, a a fairly rocky, damaged relationship. She's always been on edge ever since uh, she survived a very brutal um, sort of altercation with a burglar about 10 years ago and so she's always been a bit nervy ever since and like I said he's you know typical um, rich entitled control freak uh, although she and until she wakes up the next morning handcuffed to him and he proceeds to blow his brains out Fair enough. Uh, and she's like wait what and so she is now handcuffed to a corpse in a house that has, while she's been asleep, been completely emptied of absolutely everything. Uh, in the, and the, so she's got nothing to help her. No phones, no nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in the snow, in the middle of nowhere, next to a frozen lake, and that's about it. And as she's trying to oh. drag herself around uh, with, a, with a dead body attached to her, uh, a couple of very nasty-looking guys knock on the door. And, uh, you know, this is one of these Bulgarian shot cheapies that uh, we're getting quite a lot of these days. Uh, you know, Millennium Films, which was basically has risen from the ashes of Canon Films from the 80s. It's very much, uh, you know, single location, one star. Yeah. One star actress, I mean, one leading lady, rather than one star <laughs> review. I thought you it meant that. It doesn't get, although it doesn't get much more than that. But it's a film that, that unlike old, where I said that the, characters do behave quite believably all the way through this is one of those movies where at every turn you're sitting there watching and going what are you doing what are you talking about nobody would do this nobody would respond in that way why don't why don't you know the whole way through you're going why don't you just do this why don't you just do this uh and it's kind of 
enjoyable in the way that it's so incredibly implausible and infuriating and all the rest of it. I mean, Megan Fox, I think, is actually quite a capable leading lady, and particularly when she's doing this kind of thing, which doesn't really demand much more of her other than furrowing her brow and screaming every now and again yeah, and running around. Play. Does it well? You know, she's quite a physical. She's quite a physical performer. Obviously, she's very easy on the eye as well, and that doesn't hurt it. Um, and I think she's okay. She manages to carry the film, um, you know. But the dialogue is all over the place. Uh, the setup makes very little sense, and uh, the way things are executed, and the the other characters that are drawn in, and how they're drawn in, and what their motivations are, and how that all plays out is just the mind boggles. Uh, but if you want a bit of sort of trashy Friday night brainless entertainment, there. Uh, this is out there. Okay, can you give us a teeny weeny coda? We've got time for one small, one small one. Okay, one small one. Then okay, then I'll skip the Korean horror movie, which, which is, which you know, eh. See, why um, don't you do every review like that? To... Okay, yeah. there's a Korean horror movie out, which is meh. Okay, and good. And then there's also See, it's not that difficult. Is there's it? there's a Taiwanese uh, family friendly child, definitely child friendly drama about. Um, small school uh, in the remote mountains of the south uh, where it's uh, it's uh, going to run out of money it's going to be closed down because um, right. everybody's migrating to the cities it caters to mainly sort of an aboriginal indigenous community okay. uh, and they the the, t the local teachers decide okay we've only got one real way to save our school and that is to enter into a national singing competition and so what they do is they form a choir yeah. singing traditional aboriginal songs you know celebrating their differences rather than trying to assimilate into the mainstream uh and guess what it's all quite lovely and quite um, well-meaning, well-intentioned. Uh, it's not great. It's quite straightforward and simplistic, and uh, therefore... What made you pick it, premise. actually? I mean, cool, but uh, what made you pick it's, it? Uh, it? It's there. Because um, it's, it's there. Oh, you know, enough. this is just out this week, so I've, see, I've seen it. Uh, it's quite reminiscent of a film that came out, another Taiwanese film that came out a couple of years ago called Turn Around, uh, which is all about a similar community that is ravaged by a big earthquake that happened in 1999 yeah. and about the teacher who then makes the decision to stay behind and put together a school band in order to boost morale uh, so this is a very it's based on a, it's based on a true story but apparently not the same true story it's a different true story and it is just a kind of a nice celebration of uh those communities and uh their traditions and the and they are those traditions are disappearing it's not a great movie uh, you know, it is, like I say, it's quite simple and so stretched to two hours. Some of it does wear a little thin. Um, it's got this great central performance from Umin Boya, who is a big uh, Aboriginal talent in the Taiwanese film industry. You know, he is an actor. He's also a director. I believe he's also a musician. Uh, he plays like the PE teacher who becomes the conductor of the orchestra. Uh, he's a very sort of charismatic screen presence, and that's always important when the material is a little bit flimsy. Is it one of the magic coach, magic music teacher films that you talk about sometimes? It's not, it's not really... No, it's, 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 got, it's kind of less substantial than that. You know, it's, it's one of those films that kind of gets by on, on its good intentions, really, more than anything else. I just wanted to give it a bit of a shout-out because it is suitable for all ages, and so if you did uh, want to... You know, if you have a, a kid who's into music and or sings in a choir or something like that, then they might be interested in checking this out. Yeah. Um, 
if you want something that's far more melodramatic and tugs on the heartstrings, then Turn Around from 2017 is far more sort of exploitative in terms of right. the emotional roller coaster it takes you on. Quick question but, uh, from Rachel Louise before we finish. Any thoughts on the Bo Burnham Netflix special Inside? Have you seen it? Yes, I have seen it. I have some thoughts uh, on it uh, because it's been getting very, very good reviews. He is a very polarising individual uh, and I do find him funny, I, but I found I responded far more to his previous one. Uh, there's a couple of them on Netflix now. I think there's like three of them and it's it's the one he did in like 2019. Oh, yeah. Um, and I can't remember the name of it. And I liked that. I think he res he needs an audience. I think he responds better to a live audience. The whole point of his new one, Inside, is that obviously it's during COVID and it's during lockdown and he shoots it all on his own. The premise being that I, he locks himself in a room and says, I'm not going to leave this room until I've created a new musical special. It's incredibly experimental. Mm -hmm. you know, And he is, without a doubt, you know, a creative tour de force. But I felt that this one... I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting and it's at times... Uh, very funny and it is at times very frustrating but I think that's his intention I think he doesn't go easy on his audience even if his audience is in the room but I would check out his previous one which I preferred thank you for that question nice one James we'll do it all again at the same time next week marshy movie time will return